Well, good morning, nine o'clock. I'm back. I, I was here some time ago. We talked to a little bit of Esther. Maybe you remember that. My name is Joe. I'm still not Corey. Um, so I want you to know something. I, I am still an MIT minister in training, but starting next week, November 6th, I will be the campus pastor at our new Tullahoma campus. So we're all pretty excited. Uh, and I just wanna point some things out. Mary that just prayed will be our worship leader there, and so we're excited about that. Uh, the guy that came up and did announcements, Grant Marshall, he will be our children's leader there, and so we'll be working with Echo. There's uh, another fellow named Jordan Bay. He's out of the MIT program. He'll be working with students there. And at the end of the service, you'll see a, a wonderful young man named, what's his name? Fred. That's not a young man's name, but anyway, Fred will be here. Pastor Fred, Fred Mendock, will be our discipleship pastor in Tullahoma, and he will be here to pray with folks that wanna pray with him this morning and maybe ask some questions. Um, you'll get to meet him there. If you wanna meet Fred, you can come down and do that. Really excited. I did wanna share something else a little bit about me. Uh, so last year, it was about the first week in August, I got COVID. Man, that was so good. <laughs> COVID was highly effective with me. It did all the things it was supposed to do. Um, I lost my sense of taste. I still don't have it back. So yeah, it's not terrible. Obviously, I haven't stopped eating. <laughs> so I can taste very sweet things. So I, 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 it's hard to stay away from the sweet stuff because it's what I can taste. So I, but for the most part, I've lost my sense of taste. It's not terrible. Also, the smell. Now, this is one that I have thoroughly enjoyed. Do you know how when you're driving down the road and you see a skunk on the side of the road and you play that game where you hit the recirculate button as quick as you can? I don't play that game anymore. I see a skunk, I roll the windows down, I'm like, bring it, bring it. I can't smell anything anyway. So I haven't smelled that. I can change diapers. I have a two-year-old granddaughter, change her diaper, boom, no problem, no smell. I haven't smelled a middle schooler for over a year. <laughs> Praise God, right? So in my life, I spend a lot of time working with my hands. I also have carpal tunnel. And if you're familiar with that one, <laughs> that's, you know, in that one, sometimes just after I do a little bit of work, randomly, I'll lose all the feeling in my fingers. So here's the deal. I, I've lost my sense of smell, my sense of taste, and some of my touch. Three of the five senses out the door. But my vision, I believe, is getting a little better. I, I don't have to wear glasses when I read anymore, I hardly, unless it's super tiny, I can see things. So I said all that to let you know this, you look marvelous. <laughs> That's the real deal, I can see really well and you really do look marvelous. So I just want you to know that, there you go. <laughs> so we've been in the book of Ephesians for a couple of weeks now and if you've been able to be here, you've heard Corey teach through chapter one and chapter two. So I wanna kinda look at what that kinda means what he has been saying and sharing with us is, is that if we understand the magnitude of knowing God, is it shaping us into better people? So really those first two chapters, Paul just keeps saying that stuff, you know, about how great God is, not just how great he is, but how Christ has come. He was truly the Messiah. He had realized that and that the Jews and the Gentiles needed to understand, but they are now one. So that was the message. And because of the great saving power of Jesus Christ, they should all live as one and it ought to be reflected in their lives. So we've been hearing that for the last couple of weeks, great messages. If you missed them, go back and watch them. Go back and watch them. Now, today I want us to kind of think about this as we grow in our relationship with Christ because we've established that we have one. 
all right? As we grow in that relationship, do we pray with more faith and is our praise more sincere? So we're gonna look at those things. If you want to, you can open your Bible to Ephesians. We're in chapter three. Maybe you picked up a flyer or a bulletin, a handout on the way in, but also you can open up the app. I really love that app. So you can open that up and then all the sermon notes will be there. You can follow along and of course, it'll be on the screen here too. So before we get into that, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna pray. So let's do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the things that have changed our lives in this past year, whatever that is. Maybe it was tragedy, Father, maybe it was sickness, and maybe it was some kind of amazing thing that happened in our lives. But we thank you for it because you are a sovereign God and you have a plan. This morning, we pray this, that as we have entered this place to praise you, to worship you, then that has not stopped since we entered. It didn't stop during announcements. It definitely didn't stop during our time of praise, and it won't stop during our time of study. Father, we just pray that we would lift your name and glorify you. We pray this would be true in every church in this county that, that is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, those people would be filled with your spirit today, that you would be glorified. We pray that every church that is honoring you would be full, and that we would all be doing our jobs, Father, to reach this county for Christ. Help us to be useful in your work, in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you should have your Bibles open by now, unless you didn't do that during the prayer, but now you get a chance, open your Bibles. We're in chapter three in Ephesians. And here Paul starts for this reason. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you've heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. So Paul starts off here and he says, for this reason. Again, back in chapter one and also chapter two, Paul had been sharing this truth with us. And, and he said that Christ came to proclaim the good news of peace. So let's break that down real quick. Let's remember what the good news is, all right? The good news is that Christ came, Christ came that he lived a perfect sinless life this is still the good news. The good news is that he became a sacrifice for our sins, a perfect man that lived a perfect life and his life was sacrificed for me, for my sin. This is good news. Doesn't sound like it, but it is because the good news gets even better. He died on a cross for my sins. The greatest part of this news is that on the third day he rose again, that he had victory over sin and death. He had victory over my eternal death. He had victory over my eternal sin. He showed it there, and that is good news. That's the good news. But Paul says there's the good news of peace because now he's letting them know. He said, listen, the Jews have been looking for this Messiah. The Old Testament proclaimed it. Paul had studied it all of his life. He'd been looking for the Messiah. When the Messiah came, he missed it. <laughs> he persecuted the Christians. Remember that? He was after the Christians. That's what he did until Christ himself spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And he called him out 
and Paul changed and he was saved. And now he teaches the good news of peace. He said, now, listen, Jews, listen, Gentiles, there is one God, now there is one body. We're all one family. We are together in this. And because of Christ, they would, they would have access to the fathers, fellow citizens, God's household. Now listen, because of that, he said, for this reason, I'm gonna pray. For this reason, I'm gonna pray. And then he stops. <laughs> but before I pray, in my Bible, there's a dash. I don't know what you have in yours, but there's a dash, there's a pause. Because he says, for this reason, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, and he's about to pray. And he stops, he goes, but one, one more thing here. I just wanna make sure it makes this very clear that I am so encouraged to pray for you because God had given me this direct message and God had given him a very clear purpose and the message was to the Gentiles. And he says that followers of Christ are co-heirs and members of God's family. The big takeaway here that Paul wants us to remember is this, this is a relationship that we need. Now, I don't know how many relationships you have. There's a lot of relationships, right? There's friends, there's family, there's coworkers, um, there's husbands and wives, there's parents and children. We have a lot of relationships in our lives. But what Paul knows and what we should know is that there is a relationship that we need. I don't know how your life has been, if your life has been like a lot of our lives, ups and downs, <laughs> challenges, victories, defeats. And in those times, we're all looking for relationships. Have you, can you remember a time that you wish you had a friend that was really close? Maybe you remember a time that you wish your parents were there. Or, or maybe you remember a time when you wish your children were there. Or you had that best friend. All these relationships that we have in our life, they all fall incomplete. That there is one relationship that we need. For all the relationships you may want in your life, all the relationships I may want in my life, there's one that I need. And Paul says, we have this one relationship that we really need. It's a relationship with God the Father. It was restored through Jesus Christ and we can all have it. And he's excited about it. So that's what he says before he prays. Now, let's see here about this purpose. Starting in verse eight. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for your glory. So Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. And this one always catches me. I trip up on this one. This is Paul. He, he pins, God has him write down about half of the New Testament. Obviously, this guy is probably not only does it have this tremendous Jewish pedigree, he has this past where he has studied, he is educated, he is very faithful. He even talks about it at some point, it is, he was blameless as far as the law. That means that he wasn't perfect. It means that every time he sinned, he confessed and he did the ceremonial uh, things that were required to get forgiveness according to the law. 
So this guy was on top of it, and then he finds Christ, Christ finds him, Christ reveals him, his life changes, and he starts telling everyone about Christ. He starts standing up, and he receives all this persecution for it. He is probably the most effective, well-known Christian of his day, and he might still be. I think most believers know of Paul. So this guy understood the deepest truths of God's word, and he called himself the least. Because when we know the deepest truth of God's word, it doesn't make us proud. It makes us humble. It makes us very humble because we get to know Christ. Uh, If I could memorize every single word in this New Testament, let's just say the whole Bible maybe. If I could memorize every single word, guess what? Doesn't make me better than you we have the same savior. Paul said, it's not about me, and it's not about me, and it's not about you. It is about Christ. Paul understood that. So he's not comparing himself to all the other believers. He's comparing himself to Christ, and that made him humble. It should make us humble too. We should remember that, especially if we're sharing the gospel. This thing where Christians bow out their chest and they, or they get on social media and they just try to destroy the lost and the unbelievers. It's not the way that Christ did it, not the way that Paul did it, and it shouldn't be the way that we do it. Amen. It should, thank you. Got an amen right up here. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> got his name right too. <sighs> oh, excuse me, get a little proud. <laughs> I'm not proud about knowing the word. I'm proud of because I knew his name. That's why I'm pretty excited about that. But look, Paul has a purpose, and it says to be made known. He knew that. He knew that his job was to make Christ known. Christ literally told him to do that, and he took it to heart, and he lived that life. God had given him a direct message. It it said shed light to bring the light of the world, the truth of the gospel to the world, to the nations, to the Gentiles. And verse 10 says that God's wisdom will be made known through the church. And even angels will learn about God's plan as we follow Christ. It's going to be named, now I think sometimes we read that and we, we put it on us again and say, oh, God's wisdom will be made known to the church. Let me tell you about God's wisdom and what the Bible says. You can have God's wisdom, you just ask for it. Read his word and ask. Start in Proverbs, you'll see it there. Just read his word and ask for that wisdom. That is not something that's hidden from the church. That's something the church can have. That's something that you can have. All you have to do is just read it. You'll get God's wisdom. This says that the church will make God's wisdom known to the world. We've got a job. We're the ones that God has chosen to share the truth with the world. And we're not gonna do it by being argumentative. We're gonna do it by being honest and being Christ-like, and we're gonna make him known. So God has an eternal purpose. This is what is so powerful when we start to really look at what Paul is doing, what Paul is done, is even where we are. God's had a plan. It's always been his plan. God, God didn't just like, you know, well, since Joe did this, I think now I'm gonna do, this. God never has ever said, well, I think maybe I'll do, or well, my next thing to do should be or could be. God has always known his plan. It's always been the same plan. It's never been a different plan. He's not making adjustments as he goes. This is what God knows. He's always known 
that Christ would be the savior, that Paul would tell the Galatians and that the church would tell the world. That's always been the plan. It has not changed and we're not changing it. And knowing that God is the one that's brought us to this place in time, when we were in Esther, we talked about for such a time as this. You know what I'm starting to realize? That it's always such a time as this. It just always is. Every day, every week, there is something that God would have me do, and he has done, he has prepared things in my life and put me in certain place to do those things. And here I am for such a time as this, and here you are. And once we realize that God has a plan and he's brought us to this time, this place, we should pray with some boldness and some confidence because we know that this is God's plan. I can't be afraid about what's gonna happen next. I'll pray about it, but I can't be afraid about it because I know that God has a plan. I may not understand all of it. I may not see all of his plan, but I'll know that he has a plan and I'll trust that. Because sometimes we suffer and we don't get it. I understand that, that we suffer and we can ask why. Trust me, folks, I'm going to heaven with a lot of whys. Because I don't think that's a bad question. I know who. I know God has a plan, but I don't know why. Sometimes he shares, sometimes he doesn't. I trust him. Paul's gonna address that a little bit more when he prays. Let's look. He's back, he's finally for this reason. Remember we started there, he was about to pray and then he went off topic a little bit. He's back. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love, and know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, first thing I notice here is that he kneels before the Father. And sometimes we'll see people take a certain posture before God and we'll think, well, that's the posture we must take. Oh, we, have, we should kneel when we pray or we should close our eyes and bow our heads every time we pray. This isn't about the posture that we take. This, is, this isn't just the position. This is us understanding who we're praying to. And that's exactly what Paul does. When he said, I kneel before the Father, he was again continuing to show his humility before the creator. Everything in this universe exists because God created, and that includes you and me. His love for us, and in light of his power and who he is, that ought to humble us. Think for a moment about the creator of the universe. Everything. Not only did he create it, he holds it all together. Every single bit of it, God is holding it all together. And, and if this happens right now, if somehow, some way, all 7.3 billion people on this earth got on their knees and prayed, God would hear everyone individually. Individually. There've been times in my life, many years ago, I would wonder, does God even hear me? There's so many people, there's so many prayers, 
does he even hear me? He does. I stopped limiting my God. He created the universe and he hears my voice and he listens. We kneel before the Father because the creator of the universe says, I'm listening. It's a position of humility and respect. I love God. This is where we have to say, he's not just the man upstairs. <laughs> he's the creator and he listens to you individually. So Paul prays for four things for that church in Ephesus. Now remember this church in Ephesus, Corey shared with us, it's not like this one gathering place. It's all of the churches. Yeah, you may not realize this, but a couple thousand years ago, there weren't any denominations. And it was just the church. It's like when we pray at the beginning of our services, when we pray for all the churches, we're praying for the churches that proclaim Jesus Christ. There's one church in Rutherford County. That, this one's called ECC. So that's what he's saying there. So he's praying for the church. He's praying for the churches in Ephesus and he, he's praying that they will have spiritual strength and that's power that only comes through the Holy Spirit. And that only comes through prayer because God's the one that gives the power. It seems like sometimes believers, we think that, oh, well, I just need the power of God on my life. And we, we walk through our lives and we just try to be good people and we try to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, nothing wrong with that. But we think that somehow just because we just do things that the power of God will be on us. But it requires prayer. So you can't just know about the Savior. You can't just know that about the God. You can't just know about him. You need to know him. And the way you know him is to get on your knees and to get in your place of prayer, whatever that is, in your car, driving down the road, where most of us need to pray, and talk to the Heavenly Father. Talk to our Heavenly Father. He says, I am listening. And we just talk to him. And we just listen to him. That's where we get power. Too many people try to work stuff up. They think that somehow being filled with the Spirit is something that you do when you come in, you have to have a nice big group, you've gotta have a nice good band, and you gotta work something up. Let me tell you, there is something we use around here. There is a word that we use around here that means something to us. It's authentic. Authentic worship. It's not something, we're not trying to stir something up. We're just trying to enhance something that's already there. Sometimes I just remember how great God is during worship. And I pray, God, please help me not to forget this. Receive my worship. Uh, authentic worship, authentic community. It's not something we just drum up or try to make happen around here. It's something we want it to be authentic. Now, the place that happens is in small groups, life groups. If you're not in one, get in a life group. It's not just a good commercial. <laughs> it's a good life. We're not supposed to do this alone. And get in a place to serve, authentic community service. Now God gives us this power, this spiritual strength according to his riches, not out of our riches, not out of something that we can do, not even of his riches, but according to his riches. So there's a little difference there. If I give you out of my riches, I don't have enough dollars in my wallet right now for everyone to get a penny, so you'd have to share out of my riches. But, but this is according to God's riches, and his riches are limitless. 
And so he shares that with you. He's not limiting how much of you he wants, and he's not limiting how much of himself he'll give to you. Paul prays that for them. And he prays that they'll have deep faith. Now, I think it's important for us to remember that he's talking to Christians. I believe this with all my heart, that if an unbeliever found the book of Ephesians and the book of Ephesians only, if they read it, they read the book of Ephesians, they would clearly see the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, could get saving faith and, and, and know that Christ is their savior. I believe that. But this letter's written to believers. So I wanna speak to believers. This isn't saving faith that he's talking about. This deep faith is required to live every single day for Christ. I remember the day that I was saved. I don't think that remembering the day is a big deal. Some people do, I don't. I was never saved by a date. <laughs> I didn't write it in my Bible. I just remember the circumstances. I remember the time. I remember all that. Uh, but I don't think that's important because I wasn't saved by a date. I was saved by a savior. So here's the deal. If you know you're saved, praise God whenever that happens. Praise God. But this faith that, is, that we need, that he's praying for, getting saved for me was pretty easy. Someone told me the truth. I believed it. I accepted it. I surrendered my life. I started to follow Christ. For some people, it's not that simple. It was easy for me. But since then, it's been hard. This is the deep faith that's required to live every single day for Christ. Today's easy. Sundays are easy. Mondays are tough. And Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. Fridays, the drive home is tough. If you don't know where I have a sin problem by now, listen, we need that power, we need that faith. And it's all about the stability that we will have in our lives. And where do you draw your stability? I'm saying you need to draw it in Christ because people get their stability from other places. If you get it from your family, your family can fail you. If you get it from your friends, your friends can fail you. If you get it from your money and your job, those things can go away quick. Maybe you get it from your spouse because you have a great husband or wife and you get all your stability there. Listen, I get a lot of my stability from my wife. I have a great wife and she helps me, she corrects me uh, in, a, in a good way, a way that I eventually appreciate. <laughs> Just trying to be honest. But if she was all my stability, and, and listen, I just I wanna be sensitive here. I know that some of you have lost your spouses and it was your stability, a lot of it. And you had to find stability in Christ. I know that was tough. I wanna to be sensitive about that. But at the same time, all of you that still have your spouses, listen, encourage one another to find your stability in Christ now. I'm not gonna live forever. I want my wife to have her stability in Christ because I believe I'm going first because she takes care of herself and I don't. <laughs> all I'm eating is sweets because it's all I can taste. But I want her to know Christ in such a way that when I'm gone, she'll have that. Now, I expect her to grieve some, yeah, some. It's because without depth, the storms are coming, folks. 
If you haven't been through any, wow. But I would imagine you've been through storms and you needed something and maybe you've searched for something and it didn't work. There's something that works and it's your relationship with Christ. He prays they'll have that deep faith. And then this, I love this part where he says, know the love that surpasses knowledge. So what he's saying is know something that is unknowable, that we do not have the capacity to know it, but I want you to know it. He says the length, the width, the height, the depth. What we need to understand about that, it sounds like a box, right? But it's not a single place. See, love isn't a one-way street. If you watch the, the video at the very beginning, love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Understand that God loves us in every single way in that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. God has loved you. God loves you where you are in all of the parts of your life. The question here really is, do we love him in all the rooms of our lives? Here this morning in this place, in this room, I love him. It should be obvious. Tomorrow at work, will it be obvious? At home with the family, will it be obvious? <sighs> On the road behind the wheel, will it be obvious? You pick your place. It's all the rooms of your life. He says, I want you to know that Christ loves you so much that he loves you in every single room that you're in. All the things, when you're sitting down and you're seeing things you shouldn't see, when you're saying things you shouldn't say, Christ loves you in that room. And he's saying, I'm praying that you'll know that love so that you'll love him back in those places. And being loved by God is what really gives us our identity. Who are you? I believe this. I said, you know, I don't know how many years I have left, but someday this body will fail and I'll be out of here. And then some people will talk. And I believe there'll be some folks that say, well, he was a good guy. There might be some that say other things, but <laughs> I'm hoping some will say he was a good guy. But you know what I'm really praying for? One thing about Joe, he loved God. That's the man I'm trying to be now because this is my identity. I wanna be the guy that loves God. This is our identity, church. We should be the people that love God and the world should see it. This should, be, this should do us, gives us an ability to relate to others because this is our identity now. We're not trying to find it in finances. We're not trying to find it in other relationships. We're not trying to find it in satisfaction, other things in the world. We have found our identity and our satisfaction in Christ and the world can see it. And it'll be obvious to the world. Knowing God's love is not an individual accomplishment, by the way. I love God because he first loved me, but I'll be honest with you. Um, when I accepted Christ, I did not become a pastor. Shortly after I accepted Christ, within about a year and a half, I became a husband. I was still a follower. And the wife that I had helped develop me into the man that I am. I'm a better Christ follower because of her. But let me tell you, there's other people in my lives too. My father-in-law, who was a pastor, was my mentor, and he poured into my life. And then I've had through the years small groups, men and women that have poured into my life to help me to become who I am today. And guess what? People are still doing that for me today, and I am in a position to do that with others. 
You are not alone. God didn't want you to be alone. He doesn't want you to be alone now. He wants you to work with him in what he's doing with other people. We're doing that as this big community here, but we're also doing it in those life groups. Again, next week I'll, I'll start being the pastor at the Tullahoma campus, and I can't imagine for a pretty good while a week goes by that I don't mention how important life groups are. Those of you that are in life groups are shaking your heads because you know they're that important to your life. If you haven't been to Following Jesus, go to Following Jesus, kind of find out what a group looks like. Go to, uh, to Life Group Central on Wednesday night. There are people back in Connection Corner that wants to get you connected to a life group. If you don't wanna do it through the app, you can go right back here and they can help you. Get in a life group. We're not meant to do this alone. It involves the whole church and the way that we do that is through life groups. And then he prays for fullness. Look at what happens. The spiritual strength that he's praying for, that they'll have in the Holy Spirit, it leads to deep faith, and that leads to the knowledge, really understanding that God loves me everywhere and that I can love him everywhere, and that leads to fullness. So what is that? That is just being satisfied with God, finally. Have you ever felt dissatisfied with God? God, I prayed, and you didn't do what I asked. God, it seems like you're just not as involved in my life as you used to be. Let me tell you, God is never less involved than he is. He is God. He hasn't backed off ever. He has a plan for you. Why aren't we satisfied? Because listen, it's God's presence, it's his power, his love, and his life that inhabits us. That's when we're fully satisfied. The problem is we insert ourselves in all these things. It's about me, I think I can do this in my strength, and my power, I think if I just take another, maybe another self-help class, if I just get a little more, if I just toughen up a little, I can do this, I can make this. I can survive the grief, I can survive the failure, I can survive the struggle, I can deal with the failures of the people around me if I just toughen up. And maybe you do, and maybe you get the glory. I don't think you can do it your whole life. And I don't think it's abundant life. I think fullness is abundant life. I think it's what we need. I believe it's what we want. And I know that it's available. Paul prays it for those folks. I feel like he's prayed it for us. Look what happens when he starts to, to close this out. After going back and saying kind of why he was gonna pray. And then he prays this powerful prayer. And then he comes to this in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. This is something we should all know, that God is able God is able. It seems like the church doesn't have too much trouble realizing and wrapping our brain around this reality that God is the creator of the universe and that he can do anything. He is able. The problem is we stop there because we think that he is able to do anything we want. But Paul says he's able to do above and beyond all that we ask and think. One of my prayers especially this seems like these, about the last two weeks, I've had so many prayer requests come in that just people that have sudden illness, car wrecks, just 
physical things. And so I'm praying, you know, God heal. God heal. I spent a lot of my life doing that, just praying for people in such a way that say, God heal. I'm, t- I'm picking that one because it seems to be the most sensitive one that we really believe that God can heal. We believe that. And so we pray, God heal, God heal. But then he doesn't heal sometimes. And then we say, why God? Why? In this verse, and these words, and he's able to do beyond all that we ask or think. And now that I've been around the block a few times, I can look back and see those times where I said, God, heal, and he didn't. And then I could see the things that he did. Because God has always had a plan. And it's always been for my good, for your good, and for his glory. Even the things that I don't understand, even the times that I prayed and I said, God, if you would do this, or God, please do this, and then he doesn't do it. Because he is looking at me and he's saying, Joe, I'm not gonna do that because I already have a plan that is bigger and better than you can ask or even think. And yet it involves difficulties and struggles for you and for the people around you. But trust me, how many times have we just stopped when we should have realized that God is the one working through us and it's his power and not ours Pray, keep praying the way that you pray. Pray for God to heal, but pray, God, please heal if it's your will, Father, if it's your will. Always, if it's your will, because if it's God's will, that's what's gonna happen, by the way. (laughs) God's will is going to happen. I'd love to see a healing, but I know that sometimes I won't see a kind of healing that I'm asking for because my brain's not big enough to see what God's gonna do. And sometimes I get to look back and see what he did. Praise God for that. We should all know that. And here's why. Look, God shares his power with us. Why would he do that? Some people think God shares his power with us so that we can build big churches. Look how many chairs we got in here. Look how big the church is. Look at the church we built. Look at our church. Maybe so we can boast about our accomplishments. You won't believe what I did. You know, one of those is... uh, (laughs) Like this one where, you know, I, where I tell you about how humble I am. I love that one. I don't know, I don't do social media much. I have a Facebook page and I just love it when I see some dear brother or sister in Christ telling how humble they are on their social media. I'm like, something is, uh, why don't you let somebody else tell how humble you are instead of you? Sorry, I haven't read your stuff. I'm not talking about you. Maybe I am. So is that the reason? No, absolutely not. We are here to glorify the Son of God and to build his church. There's nothing wrong with building the church. The church is supposed to do that. The church is supposed to go out and share the gospel and so that people will join the church. I mean, the church, not the membership, the church, that people will be saved. And that can only be done in his power. See, the power of God in our lives is it's not a luxury. It's like, well, when I get a chance, when I'll get serious about God, that's when I'll probably start getting it. No, it is a necessity, folks. You're not gonna make it without God's power. How do you get it? Pray. (laughs) Get to know him. 
He's literally waiting to have conversations with you now, today, even right now. That's how he receives the glory. So let's think back at the very beginning there. We talked about back before when Paul is sharing that you can have a relationship with God because Christ has done something on the cross that restores the relationship that was broken in the garden. Just extra stuff there. But as followers of Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God. How beautiful this is being adopted. Adopted just means this for me, chosen. In chapter one, Paul literally shares that, that God had chosen us. Chosen. Um, my parents didn't choose me. I was just born. And then they were stuck with me. And I'm not sure if they had any regrets. They probably did. For those of you, uh, eventually we'll have a next class in Tullahoma and I'll get to share my testimony and everyone will think that my parents are saints when I get done. Because yeah. I made a bunch of mistakes when I was young. But, but they didn't choose me, they chose to have a child and they got me. You folks that have been adopted and you parents that have adopted, man, that's special. Chosen. And God has chosen you and adopted you into his family. And he says, you are my child. We are co-heirs, we have access to our heavenly father through prayer. Like we said before, that should blow our minds, but the reality is he is listening to you and he's with you and he's watching. And God's not like any earthly father. He is the father, he is the creator of all fathers, and he's good. When I was a youth minister many, many years ago, and I was sharing this truth about God the Father and how great he is, and I shared about my own father, about how my father, he cared for me, he provided for me, he protected me, he disciplined me in love, and I knew that he loved me when he disciplined me, especially when I got a little older. And I was sharing that and, and I said, Heavenly Father, God is like your father. And I shared that with a bunch of teenagers. And so we dismissed, we had our little thing at the end and one girl comes up and she says, um, Brother Joe, um, my dad hits me. <laughs> I was young, I didn't know. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry. How foolish of me to think that every father was as good as mine. See, when someone told me that there was a heavenly father that loved me, it was easy for me. And I told her, there's a heavenly father that loves you like your father, and her father abused her. And I said, I am so sorry. Let me tell you, God is the father you wish you had. He's good. I was broken, I wept with that young lady and I have not made that mistake again. God is not like your father. Pray that you'll be fathers like God. This is the father I wanna be. I wanna be a father that protects, provides, teaches, trains, disciplines my family in such a way that, that they love me for it and that I point them to a heavenly father that's better than me. That's the heavenly father we have. He is good. It's a relationship that we have with him. And this ought to humble the fire out of us, right? Our relationship with God, and as that grows, it grows, and our relationship with the church grows, we get stronger. We get stronger in our faith, and we get stronger in our understanding of his plan, and that humbles us even more because God is still using you. 
Even though you know how, start to realize how great and powerful and awesome he is, you know that he listens and you know that he wants to use you. And that's humbling. And this is where we find spiritual strength, the deep faith, the divine love that we talked about, and the fullness. And this is what we want. We get this through our relationship with Christ. You get this through your relationship with Christ. You can have this. And there's no room for pride there, just his power. We wanna see God do great things through us. Let God do great things through you. And there's one key thing that you have to remember is that God gets the glory. This is born out of humility. God gets the glory. It almost even would offend you if you got the glory for something God did and you'd wanna set it straight. God is the only one who has the power to satisfy our desire for him. Once we realize that, then he gets the glory for it. All the things that the world is looking for, they're looking to satisfy this empty hole. And I believe every single person on this 7.3 billion people, they all have this empty hole in them that is God-sized and that only God can fill it. Now, a lot of the world looks other ways. Our culture looks for other ways personal satisfaction, physical pleasure, money, power, all those things that we try to fill that desire with, but there's nothing that will satisfy, nothing that will bring fullness except God himself. And he's the only one that has the power to do it. And so he'll change us, and as he does that, he uses us, and that was the, the big powerful thing here, the very humbling thing, God's changing me, and God's using me to bring glory to all generations, and look at what it said, forever and ever, amen. I'm not trying to be too heavy, but the reality is this, the way that you glorify God impacts the people around you now, but it also has an eternal impact. I think Paul knew that 2,000 years ago. We're still talking about Paul. Now, they may not mention my name 2,000 years ago, or 2,000, no, they never mentioned my name 2,000 years ago. That was 2,000, I'm old, but I'm not that old. 2,000 years from now, they won't probably mention my name. But the things that God did through me will still have an impact because God got the glory. We don't mention Paul's name for the sake of Paul. We mention his name for the sake of his mission and his mission was to make authentic followers of Jesus. Are you getting where we're going here? Are we living like we're aware of God's plan? Are, are we all the boxes of our life, all the places, are we living like we love God everywhere we go? Because the reality is this, for all the things that you do, people are noticing what you're doing and they're, and they're wondering what your motive is. Can they see that your motive is Christ? Can they see that your motive is glorifying God? Can they see it? And if they can't, then who's getting the glory? Who's getting the glory? You? Your job? He's got a great job. Where's all the glory going? Because we want the glory to go to God. Can we do that? Yes, we can. We can live our lives in such a way and still do all the things that you love to do in life. Let, let me tell you, I'm not saying that the only place we can glorify God is here. Absolutely, 100%, there is a way for me to glorify God and drive, and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. 
I'm trying to be more patient. I'm not just trying. I'm just like, God, help me. And he is. And he is. He's helping me at home. He can help you at home to get the glory. He can help you at work to get the glory, that he will get the glory. We just have to want to. I think the more we realize the plan that he has for our lives, the more we will be a part of that plan. I just don't wanna get in the way of God's plan. I wanna be a part of it, and I want him to do his things through me and not around me. Let's pray that's what happens. So you can bow your heads and close your eyes if you want to. But let's just take a position of humility and respond to what God is saying to us. There's, there's three ways you can respond here today. If you want to pray, there are people gonna be on your left and your right on the sides of the stage. They're going down there right now and they are ready to pray with you. If you have a prayer need, a prayer concern, and, and you just need someone to pray with you, remember, we don't do this alone. You need people. That's why they're here. They've committed to being here. They've committed to praying with you. Another way you can respond is, is Pastor Fred is here. I said he would be, and there he is. Pastor Fred is right here. If you have a question, or you're concerned, or you're wondering, how do I really follow Christ, some things like that, Pastor Fred is here. He will answer those questions. And listen, if he's talking to someone, you just wait. He will talk to you. He will take all the time that you need, and he'll talk to you and answer your questions. That's what he's here for. A third way you can respond today is that all around this room, everywhere you see a lamp on the table is communion, Lord's Supper. And these four posts in the middle have some baskets with some uh, disposable ones in there. But do that. Take the Lord's Supper. The only thing there, we just make sure that you know that, that you're following Christ, that he is your Lord, your Savior. Confess your sins. Just, just do that. Take the Lord's Supper, remember what he did, that good news that he, he lived a sinless life, but that he gave his life. His body was broken, his blood was shed for you. And that is good news. Communion is about a time of celebrating and remembering what Christ has done. You can have that individually, you can have it with your family, with your friends, that's the time. So when I say amen at the end of this prayer, just go get that, come back to your seats and have a special time remembering what Christ has done. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the time that you've given us here together. God, our prayer is this. Please help us to glorify you. We are all, you love us in every single room that we're in, every single place that we go. You love us and you see it and you know it. Father, we pray that our lives would, would be changed in such a way that we begin to worship you, to glorify you in all of those places, that in no way we would be ashamed of what we say, what we see, or what we do. Change us, Father. We're excited for the life that you've given us. We, we, are as, we want to be as excited as Paul about all the things that you are doing in our lives and through our lives and all around us. Help us to love one another. Help us to love you. Help us to serve one another and encourage one another in Christ's name we pray, amen. Help yourselves to communion.